Gallifrey in the constellation of Castelbrus. I hope the ears are a bit less conspicuous this time. You might be a doctor, but I am. I'm a doctor. That's probably not the one you expect. Absolutely fantastic. All of time and space, everything that ever happened or ever will. Yep. Where do you want to start? Hello everybody, welcome back to Big On Inside, a new Who, Doctor Who, Watch Arm podcast. It's a special Bank Holiday Monday, well it's not really, because you listen to this on the Tuesday, and Bank Holiday Monday will have already been, and you're already all back at college, uni, work, school, or preschool. So uh, thanks for listening, I hope you had a lovely Bank Holiday Monday. Um, with me, as always, is a man who I once saw sit alone in the park, trying to make friends with ducks, it's Harry Murdoch. Hello Harry, how are you? Why didn't they want me? I think it's because you were speaking goose and they found that somewhat a bit difficult for them. Uh, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, we're <laughs> here as always every Tuesday to start off our watch-along episodes with the weekly Doctor Who news. Um, spoilers, there hasn't been that much news this week, but there has been some news. Um, Harry, have you been keeping your finger on the beating pulse of Doctor Who news? No, I let you do that. Yep, I thought so. So let's start off with, <laughs> let's start off with um, something you probably are aware of, which is Time Fracture, the Doctor Who immersive theatre experience opened in uh, London this week. And I, I haven't taken part in it. I don't know if I will. I know you haven't either. And I don't really know anybody has. But from what I've seen online, the people who did get involved in it seem to really enjoy it. And there's been a few clips online as well of like, trailers and bits like that and it does look amazing fun and i was going to ask do you think stuff like this is a better expansion of doctor who than just doing tv spin-offs um i feel so yeah i think multimedia stuff i think the main kind of advantage to that is that it doesn't kind of step on the toes of what we already have yeah like if you had if doctor who was an exclusive tv property it was just TV stuff that was made, you'd only be able to do so much before some of it would become redundant. Like, what's the point of having a show about this um, monster fighting team when we already have this show about this monster fighting team, you know? Yeah. Like, if you think back to the Russell era where we had the main show, Tortured and Sarah Jane, they were not only all kind of exploring notably different things, but they were also targeting themselves and notably different audiences. Mm. Like, I, I feel like a fourth show, I can't imagine, like, I don't think there would have been space for a fourth TV series at that time. No, I don't So, yeah, I feel was. like kind of... I know there was... I feel like expanding these other... Rose Tyler stuff and, um, what was the other one? A Young Doctor, Young Master sort of Gallifrey thing, but uh, none of that really took off. We should do a video on Cancel Doctor Who spin-offs, that'd be fun. Yeah. Like, so saying that, like, those ideas, they kind of correspond to specific series is... Like we could always do a thing where we looked at kind of each series of New Who and picked a one thing that you could potentially do a spin-off from. Yeah, from that'd that be cool, series. Yeah. yeah. That um, could be a fun video. Yeah, but from what I've heard, Time Fracture's meant to be really good. And I think stuff like that is fun. The only it's only limitation is location, really, I guess, isn't it? When it's especially if it's an immersive thing, it sort of relies on people traveling to that thing. Whereas I think um, a lot of people really enjoy theatre when it comes to them. It seems to be more of a. I know. I know personally, like we live in, well, I live in Hull, and we have Hull New Theatre, and that tends to get 
especially recently, there's been getting lots of really cool, um, quite high up productions. So, so having stuff travel tends to be uh, quite well received, but then that can kind of make stuff, especially Doctor Who, I can kind of make it sort of cheapish, I imagine, if you're just going to watch a stage show of Doctor Who, whereas immersive reality stuff, actually being involved with an experience seems to be the better way for this show in particular. Yeah, absolutely. Like, like you said, um, kind of the one disadvantage to Time Fracture is that it is something exclusively in London. Yeah. And I guess the thing is fighting against is that when you go to London, there's not only so much, like we said last week, or was it the week before, but not only is there so much theatre buying for your attention, there's a lot of kind of immersive walkthrough theatrical experiences mm. buying for your attention. And of course, I'll be great for it to tour, for it to maintain that quality, immersive quality it has. You can't really take something like that and put it on the road. Yeah. I mean, did is, didn't the classic series have some kind of like, theatre show at one point yeah i can't remember what it was called but it started with john pertwee and then it went on to colin we should but there is recordings of it and there's a big finished version of it as well i think so we will have to touch on that at some point as well yeah i mean i couldn't comment on how successful that was i get the vibe that it was probably during an era where the show was less in the public consciousness somewhat yeah i mean i hate to sound uh like i'm just being Colin Baker, but um, he obviously did it after he was the Doctor, and that was when the show was kind of known to be kind of poop. Mm. So, uh, yeah, maybe. I'm not sure. But um, one thing I did read about Time Fracture that sounded quite cool is some of the props that they've used are actual props from the series. In fact, that you can, when you go, you will notice props taken from the set of Matt Smith and David Tennant and Peter Capaldi's TARDIS, meaning that once those sets were destroyed and taken down, the bits were just sort of scattered around and they're not really kept together, which is I found kind of sad because when I went to the experience in Cardiff, I was on Matt Smith's actual TARDIS. I went on both of Matt Smith's TARDISes and I went on David Tennant's as well. And it's kind of sad to now know that those props are no longer there. They're kind of just all broken up and select bits seem to have stayed. Yeah, but I guess logistically thinking, BBC Wales only has so much studio space. They can't really just leave these old TARDISes lying around that they're that's not going to use unless there's make... like a crossover or something. Yeah, it does make me think though that when we get something like the 60th, we probably won't get any um, interior TARDIS shots for past Doctors if their TARDIS interiors no longer exist. Because it would be too well, to stop build them just for a one-off appearance. Mm, I guess. I, mean, I guess when it came to Days of the Doctor, are we assuming that um, the Russell era TARDIS was still kind of hadn't been taken down? It was at the Doctor Experience. So what you see is the one is when you went to the Experience, it was the one from the TV series. So then when it came to do, oh, the TV, right. they just took it out of the Experience and put it in the studio up the road and just filmed there. Oh, I see. That yeah. makes sense. That's cool. Which is why you will notice there's no big shots of tenant status. It's all very close up the lower mm. half because that's all there is of the experience. All the top half is all gone. Oh, right. I see. That's interesting. Yeah. Um, moving on to our third bit of news out of six, really. So we're halfway through the news already. Um, Alex Kingston, she has a new book out that we spoke about last week. But she's recently been talking about what she would like to see in the future with River Song. 
as she said, because in a scene, because in a sense, River is the flip side of Missy. You you know, it's almost like they're two sides of the same coin. So that would have been really fun. So that would have been really really fun. And also, Michelle is like a mad box of frogs. So uh, Alex King sort of been talking about the fact that she would have loved for River songs to interact with Missy, and also mentions that. Um, to battle the Cybermen as well. That would have been good for River to meet the side, uh, the Cybermen and also the Silence. Because I don't like them. They're, they're, that's sort of my least favourite of the new <laughs> Sorry, I'm just reading a quote and then I instantly started reading it and thought, she just psyching off Got Two Monsters. But no, she's talking about the character of River Song, not enjoying these characters. I'm a bit harsh, Alex. But um, what do you think of like past these sort of past characters? What do you think of... Uh, no, we haven't really gotten to River yet in our watch-along. But from this press with the book and stuff, it's really clear that that character's had somewhat of a lasting impact. I mean, I, it always comes to think, River Song, it's one of those characters where it kind of, it's a very hard character to bring them back. I know she's a very beloved character, and obviously the Alex Kingston is clearly very enthusiastic for her to be brought back in some shape or form. But outside of Big Finish and Past Doctors, because of the way that her story concluded, and the way Moffat provided pretty definitive evidence that she only interacted with Doctors 1 to Capaldi. It's just it's hard to think of a way that you could bring her back to have her interact with a post-Capaldi Doctor. Yeah, I suppose so, yeah. But that doesn't necessarily then rule out the idea of her meeting, but you think you could only really do that for a big finish, I guess, meeting characters from... Capaldi's plus era, like Missy, sort of someone who has elements and is able to time travel. I know Missy was a Capaldi element, but River only really has one story with Capaldi. So uh, I suppose that's kind of, you could kind of play with that a little bit. Maybe it would be cool to have River interact with past versions of the Master, like Derek Jacobi and John Sim, and even go right back with John Coleshaw now voicing some of those characters. Yeah, that'd be a lot of fun. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I'd. Has River Song had any kind of? Because I know that obviously River Song has appeared in stories with other Doctors, which, and those have kind of been labelled as like that Doctor's story. Has River Song had any just kind of like River Song stories? Yeah, there was the, there was an audio series, The Diary of River Song, and I'm not sure how many volumes right. of it they've done, but they've That's done a right. fair few, I think. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So there is that foundation. Yeah. yeah, yeah. There's a you know, there's people wanting it already, so I guess it's something they could work on. It, it breaks it up as well, doesn't it? Just from going, and now she's with the seventh doctor to go. Now she's with the master to sort of go. Oh, that's actually quite a different mm. element of that. So that would be quite. I think that'd be quite fun to see, actually. Yeah, absolutely. As always, seems to be weekly tradition. Now we'd get into our ninth doctor segment. Um, sort of seems to slip under the radar, and there was not much talk about it. Was that there's the trailer for the new series? of Knife Doctor Audio Adventures Respond to All Calls, I want to say it was called. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, last week we had a little segment that was also just sort of disappeared into the into the web. But this week, Big Finish released an official trailer. Um, Harry, you just gave it a listen with your little little tiny ears. Um, what did you think yeah. of it? It is interesting that Responsible Calls is getting a much less prominent kind of promotion than ravages did like ravages on the main channel had the whole kind of animatic digital art trailer thing yeah um and whereas responsible calls like 
has well it has had that one preview and this one um trailer on the big finish youtube channel it's just an audio trailer mm. which is interesting I, I wonder why that is maybe they just wanted to have that initial boost from night doctor and then they kind of have faith from this point that it's garnered enough of the following i, I don't know and maybe we'll um, get one of those visual animatic trailers later to the release date that said it's not that far off it's about august time um august or october yeah. i can't exactly remember but it's not too far off yeah and with that all being said, I actually kind of find this response hall call story from what we've seen, we've heard so far to be more intriguing than Ravages, personally. Yeah. Um, I feel like the whole story concept is something much more intriguing and more intimate, which, like I've said before, I think might lend itself to audio better. Mm. Um, and I actually think, I don't know if they recorded these chronologically, but it feels like listening to... The clips of Chris here that he seems closer to the ninth doctor from yeah. series one in terms yeah, of how he sounds. Yeah. I don't know if that's just me. Yeah. And that's cool <laughs> that he kind of as he's been doing these, he's kind of been finding that character more and more, it yeah. sounds like. That leads in quite well to an interview he recently did with uh, the big issue magazine, um, when asked about what it was like uh playing the doctor again. He said within minutes it all came flooding back. How to do it, how I played him, um, how I liked to work, the joy of it, it was all there. Uh, the emotional arcs are formed on the hoof. Oh, and then you go, oh, I'll go, we'll pick up on that later. I kind of skipped a little bit. Uh, we stayed away from the dark war doctor, the damaged PS- PTS doctor that I uh, did on the television series. It's very separate and distant. So, uh, yeah, despite him saying, you know, it's a very different version of the ninth doctor, it is. Um, you know, you can still tell it's the Ninth Doctor. Yeah. It's interesting that he makes that comparison to kind of the Doctor in the series and the Doctor here. And as we kind of know that this is pre-Rose, it kind of, it is kind of cool and kind of the overall arc of the character to know that kind of, that side of him, that mortal side of him only started to emerge when a character like Rose came along who actually challenged him on it. Yeah. And that kind of, the Ninth Doctor as a character instinctively was like, nope, I'm going to bury that all deep down. I'm going to put it all behind me. I'm just going to put on this kind of brave, jovial front. That's interesting. That's kind of an interesting expansion of the Ninth Doctor's character, which was kind of hinted to in the show, but is now being more so kind of confirmed within this. I like that. Yeah. Um, in the same interview with Big Finish, Chris also seen. I've just given it a read here. It seems to have let slip... Um, something coming up in the uh, in the coming um, episodes. The writer's uh, top, top draw, he says, as with any other projects with me, apart from when I did, when I do shite in America, and I mean films in America, not the leftovers, which is one of the best things I've ever done. It's all about the writing. I'm amazed all of these ideas have been or will be screened. We've met Lady Macbeth, we've met the Brigadier, and we meet the Cybermen earlier. My Doctor is very enthusiastic, excitable, and all the things I remember. And I don't really recall him ever mentioning about meeting Lady Macbeth before, so is that an upcoming thing that... Lady Macbeth... Lady Macbeth is a fictional character, though. That's what I was just thinking. Let me give this a googs. Yeah, um, most, um, we sort of bumble our way through this. 
Lady Macbeth. Uh, Lady Macbeth is a leading character in William Shakespeare's tragedy Macbeth. Yeah. So I'm not sure what Chris is on about. Maybe something has been uh, let slip there a little bit. That's that just brings up all sorts of questions. <laughs> it really does. Um, I'm really looking forward to it though because I enjoyed that first box set. And from what we, what you were just saying as well, this second instalment of uh, Nine Doctor Adventures just seems to be more in tune with the TV series, and they seem to be really leaning into the um, elements that audio relies on and using that to its strengths a lot more. Yeah, yeah. I also like the fact that uh, you can kind of draw quite defensive conclusions from how Christopher Eccleston felt about. His role in Thor: The Dark World. Can't <laughs> in America. I mean, he hated that. Have you seen any interview where he talks about it? I saw one. Yeah, yeah. Where he says like they basically um, wanted I, another I, actor, but they couldn't get him, so they got Christopher Eccleston and put Christopher Eccleston in makeup to make him look like whatever other actor they wanted. Is that actually what happened? That's an interview. Here's a clip for the video version. If you listen to this on the actual podcast, go over to the YouTube channel and you can see that clip. But yeah. Wow. Who yeah. knew? Um, you did. Yeah. Well, there you go, Harry. I'm all out of news. There has been very little Doctor Who news these last couple of weeks. And uh, I think people would rather listen to us now talk about... Well, why don't you introduce this week's episode, Harry? I'm trying... Okay. This is this is the two-part, right? Be. I can't remember which one it is. <laughs> Last week was 42, right? Yes. Okay. How the hell am I going to do this? Okay. Um, do you want me to do it? I mean, no, I'm, I'm, I'm struggling. I'm struggling this one. Um, I mean, I'm not perfect, am I? But I guess that's just human nature. That was bad. <laughs> that wasn't as bad as they have been, but that one was, it wasn't the best. I'm, I'm not even going to try and make a stretch for Family of Blood because I cannot think of a natural way to, or an unnatural way to work Family of Blood into the conversation. I think so we should also mention to everybody that it is Bank Holiday Monday. It's the hottest day of the year. And if you're anything like me, Harry, you're sat in a little student room and it's very, very hot because we have to close the windows <laughs> to record the podcast. Oh no, my window's open. Oh, there you go, everybody. Harry Murdoch doesn't care about your quality of podcasting. Unlike me, I'll suffer. I honestly forgot. I forgot, Tim. What, did you want me to roast? Did you want me to roast alive? Like a... Wait, no. You, you kill turkeys before you roast them. <laughs> well, there you go, everybody. That was uh, this bit of the podcast. Now here's for some jingles and the rest of the podcast. Enjoy. Shut up. Shut up. Shut up. Shut up. Pop up. Humans are better in one respect. You are better at subscribing. Seek, locate, subscribe. What's the point in having you all? Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Bigger on the Inside, the new Who, Doctor Who, Watch Along podcast. My name is Tim. Hello, everybody. And with me, as always, is Harry. Say hi, Harry. Hi. Uh, haven't we already done this bit in the new segment? Oh, uh, yeah. 
This isn't this isn't the new segment. This is the watch along bit. You're right. We'll just carry on. It's fine. Um, that's right, everybody. We're here for the watch along segment of being on the inside the new Who Doctor Who watch along podcast. Uh, we're going to be doing what episodes, Harry? We are doing Human Nature and the Family of Blood by Paul Cornell. Yes. Um, I don't know if you remember, but several weeks ago, I think when we did 42, or just before 42, actually, I said that Series 3 so far had been disappointing to what I could remember. I was really looking forward to watching it. And the first half was sort of a okay-ish, sort of very similar to Series 2, not much going on. But then we got to the second half of Series 3, and it's really started to sort of J10, and it's sort of done its own thing again. Would you sort of agree with that? Yeah, I'd say kind of talking specifically about these two episodes. Um, I I know we don't always agree on ep- everything with uh, Doctor Who episodes and rankings, as you know from the ranking videos, but um, I think I can say quite confidently that these are hands down the best episodes of Series 3 so far. Mm, yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, not to spoil our ranking lists when that does come out, but you know, maybe, maybe it'll change. Um, yeah, so Human H by Paul Cornell, originally a uh, a novelization with the seventh doctor that um Russell phoned Paul up and asked him to adapt. What did you think of it, Harry? Well, I've not read the book, although, uh, <laughs> Sorry, not, not the book. What did you think of the, of the uh, of the televised episode? I think that it's a very, very cool episode, it's a very interesting concept. I can understand why Russell would want to uh, kind of adapt it, have it readapted for TV, because it's just such a cool concept. Can you not? So, sorry about that, guys. Um, Basically, I bought some new speakers, and I have no idea how they work. So, Harry, sorry, I asked you, what did you think of the episode Human Nature slash Family of Blood? I was really, really impressed. Obviously, I remember this was a really good episode, just from the concept alone, the idea of kind of the Doctor hiding his identity by kind of removing it from his mind completely and just kind of taking on a human persona completely and kind of what that brings up is super super interesting but what i didn't remember was just how much was in this episode how much was going on and how kind of well it's all balanced and how it doesn't feel excessive it's just a really just in terms of structuring, the way all the things are going on are balanced in such a way that nothing feels overwhelming, overpowering, and it's still pacey. Just, I think it's great. I think it's great. It's even better than I remember it being. Yeah, because I, I completely forgot that the, the pre-title sequence is just straight-up action from the very, very start. It, it doesn't really take its foot... It does take its foot off the brake because it's a, it's two, it's a two-parter, so it's not a slow burner, but it's, it's a story that matures in itself. It doesn't rush anything but the stuff that it has to rush it does and it works really well mm. one um, thing that really surprised me about it was sorry go on one thing that really surprised me re-watching is that with a lot of the two parts that we've been watching i always noticed that even if i like the whole thing overall usually the first part can sometimes feel a little bit slow and it's part two where the action really starts to kick into gear and while yeah. there's an element of that there's suddenly much more action in part two of this 
part one, uh, human nature did not feel like it was dragging or anything by any means. Like I was still totally invested in that part of the story yeah. just as much. And it just kind of got even better from there. Yeah, yeah. I found that part one and especially part two, but mainly part one, that it's more of a drama that I'm watching with just sci-fi elements. I sort of found it very um, War of the Worlds vibes, that sort of little England village in like, you know, pre-war time, it's suddenly got an alien invasion and how, you know, how everybody deals with that. I, mean, I quite like to see a War of the Worlds inspired um, Doctor Episode, maybe not Jeff Wayne's War of the Worlds where everybody bursts into song all the time, but it would be cool. Um, talking of the music, I felt the music in this episode, sometimes the music doesn't stand out to me, which doesn't mean to say that I don't appreciate it, but it fits in so well with the episode that I don't notice it in the same way that I don't notice the effects or the lighting or things like that. But this episode's music was so much better than previous episodes that I really did notice it. I think it's probably because we have new characters like the Matron and stuff like that, where they get their own sort of theme as it was. Um, how did you feel about that character then played by Jessica Hines. I thought she was great. It's very interesting um, because usually you get kind of like these one-off companions, romantic interests, and usually the way that they kind of, and this is jumping way far ahead, is that usually the reason they don't end up on the task with them is that either like, you know, they almost conveniently die a tragic death, which means they can't come with them yeah here they didn't do that they really fleshed her out and her perspective and kind of how she felt about john smith about the doctor and all of that so by the end is a character you can really understand and relate to in some ways more so than you can relate to the doctor at the end yeah well i was going to talk to you about john smith because part of this story i really liked the character of john smith and i was like oh he's really cool i want to see more stuff with this guy who's sort of forced into this sci-fi world that he doesn't want to be a part of. We were talking just before about Hitchhiker's Guide and, you know, the sort of the, those characters of Arthur Dent and John Smith and these people who aren't really sci-fi people but sort of end up in the sci-fi world. And I think that's quite interesting. I feel like, you know, Big Finish, if they're listening, that would be something I feel that a fair few people would be quite interested in listening to. Maybe a parallel world of John Smith episodes where each week the, the little town that they live in is invaded by aliens and along with Jessica Hines he has to do something to stop it. But then again, then that's sort of just a doctor really, isn't it? He would slowly turn back into the doctor, I guess. The thing about John Smith is, is that it's only a short period of time and the reason he's quite an endearing character is because you he, you see him come to realise that he's not actually real. Hmm. One thing I really kind of have to uh, give credit to with John Smith is David Tennant's performance and how he distinguishes mm. John Smith from the 10th Doctor. Yeah. Because, you know, if you're having like one actor playing two characters, there are some kind of quite easy ways you could distinguish characters. You could say, like, have a notably different physicality, which John Smith does have. Oh, or you could say... Mm. Yeah, or you could have a completely different sort of character voice. You could say, give John Smith like a much deeper or higher voice or a different accent. Yeah. But uh, Tennant didn't choose to do that. Really, the way that John Smith and the Tenth Doctor speak is pretty much the same, but it's just like small things, just kind of the rhythm of the speech and the cadence. Mm. And also, I guess, the way that Cornell writes the two characters where they do feel like different characters. And that's. Yeah. I found that really cool and really impressive. And like, it did not take long for me to kind of accept like, 
like, oh, this is very clearly not the Doctor. Yeah, yeah, it, yeah, it is very clear. I think when I first watched it as a kid, that was quite jarring. But now when I've watched it now for this and I've watched it since, I've sort of been able to come to appreciate that. And I think it's quite nice because it's refreshing because it's not a... It's not what we're going to get next week, which is a Doctor Light episode, because the Doctor's in it, but you sort of get a break from that all-inclusive character, but he's still sort of there. And to touch on what you said with the language, it is true there is a difference in the way he writes, the whole Cornell writes the two characters. I think that really becomes clear when they hand the Doctor the, the fob watch and a little bit seeps out and he suddenly starts rattling off a load of technical jargon. And then, like, the character John Strisson kicks back and he's like, what the hell was that? What, why did I say that? Is that what he sounds like? Mm, it's great. And it's also, this is, I quite like it. Um, they kind of really play up kind of these new characters' attitudes towards the Doctor and the, the way they perceive him. Like, kind of, uh, I can't remember what's the name of the kid who has the fob watch for a long period of time. Have you generally forgotten his name? Yeah, I have. I'm sorry. It's Tim. Is it? T- I'm sorry, Tim. Yeah, he was blonde and everything. <laughs> Go on. <laughs> I'm really sorry. I'm so sorry. I'm so, so sorry. So, Tim, you were saying? Yeah. Kind of like the way that kind of Tim um, really kind of describes kind of like this fire and this fury and this cold that the Doctor has and that what comes from the watch. Because the way that kind of the characters are almost kind of fearful of him and then also contrasting that how Martha is kind of in total adoration of the Doctor and it's kind of interesting to see these characters talk about the Doctor without the Doctor being there as a presence to kind of validate or deny that yeah sorry just to go back to what we said a minute ago about the difference between the Doctor and John Smith I just remembered that's really clear when he encounters Matron for the first time and she's sort of like oh why don't you take me to the dance and he's just like a bumbling ball of nerves and wreck, whereas the tenth doctor is like this suave, smooth, like ladies' man, despite Matron being another, you know, young blonde lady. Um, yeah, the tenth so. doctor doesn't really know what to do with himself, and I think I quite like that as well. Um, why isn't this something? Kind of that, a... Sorry, go on. I was just going to kind of say that um, that really the way that uh, John Smith acts around kind of uh, females romantically. It's a way, in a way, um, kind of more closely related to how we'd expect something like the Eleventh Doctor to act. Yeah, it was. Yeah, yeah. yeah and yeah, speaking of, you know, he is wearing bow tie, waistcoat. His whole kind of clothing ensemble is quite similar to uh, the Series Seven B costume that Matt Smith wears. It is a bit. Yeah, I couldn't help but notice that. Yeah. Um, I was really surprised when watching this, and I've sort of thought that a lot with these sort of new dips as we've been watching. It's going, why hadn't they done this before? Like, they had all that time in Classic Who, and then in these last two seasons of Doctor Who, there's been loads of stories where I've gone, why have they never done that before? And this is one of them. I guess what I would put it down to is that obviously kind of for the first 20-plus year run of Classic Who, I guess, you know, they were having that schedule, they were having to kind of pump out these episodes pretty regularly and surely bring in new writers and such but it was very much you know an establishment and then episodes like this were written kind of in the wilderness years in novels which i guess gave writers and kind of fans who grew up with the show 
a chance to kind of reflect on Doctor Who and the potential things that could be done that they never saw on the screen. Yeah. And so perhaps kind of thanks to that wilderness years gap, that just allowed this kind of new generation to come in and think of new things that we would have never have gotten otherwise. Yeah. Um, I think in this episode as well, it gives us our first glimpse at classic Doctors from, we actually get to see them in the drawings of the Doctor's book. I can't recall any moment from series one and two where we've seen images of any classic Doctor. Can you? No, I think, I'm not sure if this is correct, but I think I've heard that this is the story which officially canonised Paul McGann's Doctor. Oh, really? Before this episode, people were still a little unclear on whether or not the Eighth Doctor actually counted as a Doctor because he hadn't been referenced at all within the show itself. And it was this episode where we kind of, I think there's a sketch or something in reference to the Eighth Doctor, which kind of confirmed Yes, he is one of the doctors. He is a doctor. Just yeah, because when he opens the book, he's wants. the very centre one. Yeah, I think Russell had said that this was the ninth, that Eccleston was the ninth doctor. But that's just saying, mm. you know, that. but then as a fan, you can sort of go, yeah, but does that, where does that lie? You know what I mean? It's like, I sort of know what it means. Like Russell going, yeah, Christopher Eccleston's the ninth doctor, then the ninth doctor, Paul McGann counts. But if you don't see it in the series, it's sort of like, Oh, I need that clarification almost and sort of know. But yeah, I think this is the first time that classic doctors are really mentioned. Um, a character in this that I've always really loved and it's such a great performance from Harry Lloyd is the character of Baines. Um, mm. Before we get into Baines, I want to talk about the kids, the older kids. Now, I don't understand why they seem to have like such a hierarchy over other students and members of staff. Like other members of staff call them sir, but they're students at the school. Did you pick up on that? Yeah, it's weird. I mean, it's really it's something, it's a whole other world disconnected yeah. from our kind of school experience. Because firstly, this is a uh you know a uh private school as opposed to kind of a state school like we went to and also a scummy it's... public school full of rodents and <laughs> Horrible, wretched children like ourselves. You're trying to make your school sound like a Roald Dahl book. <laughs> Our school was all right. Actually, no, it was terrible. But, well, it was all right some of the time. But sorry, carry on. <laughs> yeah, but then also, of course, it's 1913. It's all militaristic, which, of course, I mean, I it's something we're luckily unfamiliar with. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah, so going back to Bane's character played by Harry Lloyd, that is such a great performance. The both contrasting performances of Baines as a normal person, like when he's walking around the school with his mates, he's kind of very um, showy off, very masculine, you know, he's sort of trying to play up. But then when he's on his own going for the beer, he's, you suddenly see the, that he's just a kid. And he's quite, you know, he's not, he doesn't seem scared by the spaceship, but he's almost like, what's this sort of thing? But And then when he gets taken over by the family of blood, that is a, then a, like a third performance that we've seen from him. And they are all really creepy. <laughs> and I think he does a really good job yeah. of that. I love, I think, I've heard this said before, and I'm inclined to agree with it. Do you think that the family of blood are the best villains slash monsters we've had which look human 
uh, I think from, maybe not. Maybe I mean, not I'm not from, the master, I guess. Yeah, maybe not from like, uh, like a, I don't know, because they don't know much much about them, but just from a performance point of view, yeah. Mm. I just, I, I know, I love them. I love just kind of how, like you said, ah. I know they just—they're really cool and foreboding, and they didn't take that much. Like you don't need some kind of big creepy costume to do that. They just have a presence and the way that they're directed, especially kind of like the younger actors and the way that they're able to carry that as well. Like the little girl, like the way she's used is really effective. Mm. Which, as we know from stories such as uh, *Fear Her*, is <laughs> it's not always something easy to achieve. <laughs> that's true. That's true. Uh, watching this, it reminded me that this is where the famous never eat pears um line comes from that for somehow has then made its way into peter capaldi's very last episode as well where he references it in his final speech um obviously the the, the don't eat pears thing for those who don't know is when martha is watching the doctor give out his instructions of what he has what what she has to do to look after him david Tennant actually had to talk for like 25 minutes so there's a video online of him just rambling and one of the things he mentions is never ever eat pears and that sort of became like a like an in joke, and then it gets referenced by Peter Capaldi for some reason at the re- in his very yeah. last speech. Um, yeah, Did, I find that uh, weird because the "never eat pears" line is not something that's you know odd for a tenth doctor to say. It's the kind of thing you'd expect, but it's not actually in the episode itself. So I always found it bizarre that um, in Capaldi's final speech, him and Moffat chose to include that. Because something the eleventh that... doctor say it when in, in the eleventh hour. I remember he doesn't like carrots. No, but... it's not carrots. It's summer. Please, apple, apples. But I don't remember him mentioning pears. Is that? Does he not like apples either? No, so I can't remember. Um, let's talk about the scarecrows. Um, they're great, aren't they? They're very menacing looking. They're very creepy. It's very Stephen King esque. Um. Mm. I love them. And I was sort of thinking, oh, I'd like to see them come back and I'd like to see the family of blood again. But then if the family of blood came back, they would have to be different actors, possibly, that have take, that the family of blood has then taken the bodies over of. It would have to be the family of blood before this episode, because obviously at the end, we're all kind of imprisoned in different ways for eternity. Yeah. So unless you can think of a way that they kind of Superman 2 style break out of an eternal imprisonment. Yeah. Um, what did you think to the sequence with the Doctor and his cricket ball where he throws it and he saves that woman from having a crushed baby? I like it, but I don't... I that whole Ruth Goldberg machine type thing. Yeah, I don't really get it. Like, I sort of get the cricket aspects because the fifth Doctor played cricket a lot. So it's almost like harkening back to that going, look, the Doctor's still there. But I'm also sort of going, I don't... I, I, couldn't you have done something else? Because that, I wouldn't necessarily said that was a Doctory thing. If someone said, name something... That, that, that's classic with the doctor. I won't go causing a Donimo effect to save someone. I guess it's just kind of like a visual way of showing that he still has those kind of heroic instincts and that quick thinking. Mm. It, gets, it gets the job done. Maybe there could have been a more, a cleaner way to depict it, but it works. It's not something I questioned whilst watching. Yeah. And this is also the first, I think this is the first time where we hear Martha admit that she sort of loves the Doctor because she says, why did you have to go and fall in love with a human? And it wasn't me. me. Yeah. I feel That's like... something I want to ask about because I know some people, I've heard some people kind of criticise the characterization of Martha in that and that kind of 
it almost weakens the character that she's upset over the fact the Doctor's not fallen in love with her. What do you think? Uh, I never really thought about it, really. Uh, uh, not really. don't really have an issue with it, because that's the storyline of the episode, isn't it? And it's like her arc. And then where her arc goes, it's not that much of an issue, really. If the whole series, and at the end of the series, she left the TARDIS crying, going, oh, he doesn't love me, or whatever, it would sort of be slightly different. But the Doctor's aware that Martha fancies him, but he's just trying to make it as obvious I mean, as he's aware at the end of this episode, definitely. Yeah. But do you know what I mean? I, I don't really sort of see it as an issue. And also, if she, if she didn't, then she probably wouldn't be bothering to save him, and it would be quite a boring episode. <laughs> Yeah, no, I'm inclined to agree with you on that one. Yeah. Um, This is almost kind of... I do feel a bit... Martha gets a really shit end of the stick in this situation. Because she gets thrown into things like the Doctor's like, right, I'm going to raise my memory, I'm going to be an idiot, I have to hide in some random timeline, and you have to stay there with me. Yeah, why did he take that home? And also the thing of like... Well, I guess because he needed Martha to be there to protect him, but also like... That's just like a lot of responsibility dump on Martha. And then of all the time periods you could have gone to, why pick 1913, the year just before the First World War? Why not pick, you know, a safer year? Why not go back to the 2000s? Would that yeah. not be a safe place to hide out? Yeah. But they only have to be there for like three months, though, isn't it? That's all they have to stay there for, three months, I think. It's only not very long that they have to hang around there for. Right. Okay. Yeah. Um, did you pick on a nice little touch to when um, the matron asked the doctor um, his parents' name and he replies with Sydney and Verity, which are the names of Sydney Newman, the very first director Newman. of Doctor Who, and Verity Lambert, the very first female producer at the BBC and obviously the very first producer of Doctor Who. So I thought that was quite a nice... Um, quite nice I didn't pick up on that. That was yeah. That's cute. That's really yeah. cute. I like that. Um Oh, so we sort of talked about episode one there. So let's move on to episode two a little bit. Um, Martha's back on track, I feel, in this episode. I know we spoke about it a few seconds ago, but like after 42, where I was really sort of disappointed with the characterization of her just screaming and panicking, she really takes control in this episode, especially at the start of the episode where she confronts the family of blood on her own and she, you know, make, lets everybody escape. And, you know, she does a really good job. The, bit, the scene that really stands out for me with Martha is the one where the matron kind of doubts her ability to be a doctor and she just kind of pulls up her hand and just has yeah. to be ghost with all the points. And I, I thought that was great. Just a yeah. real kind of, you know, you know, she was, you know, she could have even just given a middle finger, but she did something even better. <laughs> that would have been, that would have been funny. Um, I suppose it would be irresponsible to not talk about the fact that this is this episode deals with race quite well as well as from a, uh, a 1913 sort of standpoint. Um, it's not in your face as much as people would maybe claim the show would do it now, which I do think works quite well. But I also think it's a very good example to sort of, when people go, Dot 2 is too political, to sort of go, it's always sort of been there, but maybe just because you've got older, you can see the politics yeah, yeah. more than the actual sci-fi of it yeah like when i was seven it would it definitely went over my head yeah um i was distracted by the monsters and space stuff but it's cool that it's there and it's cool that it kind of is acknowledged in a family show 
Mm. And I think, is this the first time that it really is seriously acknowledged? I'm not sure. I think so, I yeah. I need to go back. And then it, gets men- to it gets mentioned with Bill when they go to London when all the River Thames is frozen over in Series 10, I, w- I want to say. But, um, yeah. but yeah, I think this is one of the first times it's acknowledged, I think. There might be some hints to it that we've, that we've picked up on before, but I can't, not off the top of my head, I can't remember. Um, there's a sequence in this where the scarecrows, where they come and attack the school. And that is a really amazing sequence. Not only is it um, sort of quite haunting the way that they sort of come through the mist, and it is uh, very sort of... It is Stephen King, isn't it? It's very sort of picking up on the ordinary and just making it really sort of spooky. But then also mm. the way that they depict the, the school kids and you see them crying as they're firing the guns. And when I was a kid, I would have just thought that was just because they were scared because there's evil scarecrows coming towards them. But now when you're older, you sort of watch that and you go, oh, all of this is just visual imagery that sort of you know it's a parallel to what actually did happen and what will happen in the following years and I think it does a really good job of that and I think this episode is brilliant example of when people do complain about Doctor Who sort of go watch this now because you probably haven't watched it properly since it originally aired and go look at the motifs that it's telling you and look at the the imagery of what it actually means rather than just people kicking some scarecrows and stuff like that. 100%. This is considered one of like the best New Who episodes and stories. And it is packed with that kind of social, historical, political commentary about, like we said, race, about war, about all of that. And then also, as in addition to kind of the deep explanation of kind of the Doctor's psyche and what it means to be the Doctor compared to what it means to be human and... I mean, it's just incredible that Cornell managed to pack all of that in here and for it to all get kind of a spot in the limelight and it doesn't feel rushed. And it's, I mean, it's what I was saying at the very start about how well he bounces all of these things. Mm. It's just kind of an incredible achievement. It was all managed to be packed into what's, in terms of what, a one hour, 20 minute story? Yeah, something like that. Yeah, not bad. Yeah. Um, there's a sequence in the episode where we see into the Doctor's future if he were to stay on Earth as John Sim. What did you think to the old David Tennant that we get at the very end of that sequence? I didn't think it was. I thought it was pretty good. You know, that's what was. Yeah, it's the same as kind of like Lazarus, old man Lazarus that we saw. Maybe even slightly better than the Lazarus makeup. I'm not sure what you thought. Well, I, I was going to say that the old David Tennant we get in this episode is from what I can remember, better than the old David Tennant that we get later on in the series. I always assumed it was the same. I mean, I think, is that, David Tennant later, is that not like meant to be like plus 100 years? Yeah, you're right, aren't you? And I think that's like the Time Lord version, so I imagine there's some some reason you could justify for him looking slightly different. But I'm just talking as as a visual effects point of view, like the makeup seems to be better. And I know we only see it briefly, so they're probably you know, it doesn't need to move as much and needs to be as durable, so they can probably make it look slightly better. But yeah. Mm. Um, the sequence where the Doctor, oh sorry, where John Sim goes back, John Sim, John Smith goes back onto the, uh, and he goes back onto the family of the spaceship to hand them the, the watch. And then they open it and they inhale, and then the music changes and the Doctor's back. That's a really cool moment 
when I was a kid. I loved watching it. And I watched it the other night and it was really cool. But at the same time, I was again, oh no, he's. I also felt quite sad that he changed as well because yeah, you sort of really liked the character of John Smith and you sort of wanted him to be happy. But then you sort of go, but you kind of need the Doctor back because that's who he actually is. And then you sort of think of the implications from that. But that moment of turn, what do you think of that? That's a really cool way. And then like the rest of the that next five minutes is just David Tennant going, oh, well, you, your reverb's broken because your Arctic plutonium doesn't work because you haven't plugged in the microfiber cable. You know, it just goes on about yeah. classic 10th dots lines. He just rattles them off. I think it's fantastic. Yeah, it kind of like pack the kind of reward almost rewarders watching by just packing so much of the tenth doctor into that last kind of 10 minutes yeah and with all the doctorisms that you kind of love at this point yeah and then obviously he goes quite dark with the punishments that he gives the, the various family of blood the father gets trapped in chains the little girl gets trapped in a mirror Baines is a scarecrow and the mother falls into like a collapsing star and that's quite dark, really, for the tenth Doctor. Do you think this is sort of the first glimpse we get at what is Time Lord Victorious? That sort of darker tenth Doctor that we do come to see. Very much, kind of like they, I was saying, they kind of make a real point of kind of this fury of the Time Lord and yeah. how the tenth Doctor really is, with all, despite all of his kind of charisma and heroicism and romanticism. He is very a little unhinged. You know, I, I can't even imagine like I can't imagine the ninth doctor going to these kind of extremes to punish people. No, the ninth doctor is very much like he gives you a look and you're like, oh shit. <laughs> mm. Um yeah, yeah, even from episode one with the Sycorax where he doesn't give him a second chance, that sort of famous line. Yeah. Um when Matron and the Doctor have to say their goodbyes, I really, really love that scene from Jessica Hyde. We haven't spoken about Jessica Hyde in this episode, but um, her performance and her characterization of the way that she she asks a question to the Doctor in that, which we've been asking since we've been doing this podcast, which is, if he just didn't turn up, would everyone be okay? And the answer is yes. And that's sort of something that she picks up on. And I think it does sort of, turn her view of John Smith, the Doctor, because I feel like when the Doctor walks into that room, she still loves John Smith. But mm. then when she, she sort of comes to realise that, she's sort of like, oh, hang on, you could have killed us all there. Well, the thing is, like, especially by the end of this episode, you're very much, I feel you're almost against the Doctor there, because kind of it makes the point um, during kind of Fury of the Time War bit that he could have given the family of blood that punishment from the get-go, but the fact that he ran away was him almost giving them a chance to back off. Yeah. But then, you know, in the end, he ends up having to punish them all anyway. Plus, people have died. I believe the only real silver lining is that um, by Tim having the watch, he manages to save himself and his friend in the war. Yeah. Yeah, it's like, you know, um, people end up dying overall. Yeah. Um how do you think Martha would have reacted if she had joined the TARDIS team? Because he offers her a place. And he knows at this point that Martha fancies him. How do you feel he, that would have gone down? That would have been an interesting dynamic. I don't Doctor's imagine real... Martha would have stuck around for much longer. 
The doctor's real going how about that because he offered Madame Pompadour a place on the TARDIS as well, didn't he? Any girly fancies to get, get on board. Any any Bond girl, yeah. Straight in, that, straight in the TARDIS whip. Do you think, this, is, this is a weird question. Do you think that kind of David Tennant's type informed the female co-stars he was often that were often in the hot Well, I, I don't know because he did date um, Sophie, Sophie Miles after... Um, fire, uh, um, girl in the fireplace. So after they, and he also with... dated Kylie Minogue. I don't know. I think that was a thing where they were seen a couple of times. I'm not sure if they, if they did. And obviously, his his wife Georgia as well. He married know. Georgia Moffat. I don't know. Maybe, <laughs> maybe Russell just went. Who do you fancy? He's like ah. <laughs> hey David, what would make it easy? <laughs> You know, I think it might be easier if we cast someone you'd actually be attracted to. So, uh, what's your type, David? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Oh, now, I'd make great. the argument that uh, maybe, may, maybe you should just act attracted to someone, regardless of whether or not you're attracted to someone. Maybe I, I don't know. Uh, anything we haven't touched upon on those two episodes, Harry? That you think we should speak about? Uh, I don't think so. I think kind of, I've covered everything that kind of I really enjoyed about them. Oh, and next week it's Blink. Yes, it's yes, Blink next week. But before we get to Blink, we've got to do the quiz! You, you, not me. I hate being patient. Patience is for wimps. Oh, yeah! I'm going to find out how little I was actually paying attention. Bumper quiz today, because it's two episodes. We did two episodes as you were listening. So you've got um, three, four, five questions today. You should have six, but I okay. forgot. So you've got five. I should um, one question of number one. Question number one. What month um, do the Doctor and Martha arrive in 1913 in? What month is it? At the start of the episode, Martha holds up a newspaper. She reads out the date and the month is what? April? Nope. November. Oh. Um, we see the Doctor giving a class a history lesson on the blackboard it is written what they are studying what fame oh, right, I'll narrow it down what famous battle is the doctor teaching his students about is it the battle of Hastings it's the battle of Waterloo oh. Oh, matron yeah, gives the name of her deceased husband what was his first name Martin Oliver Okay, well, they're too I'm good. I'm very good at this. Yeah. When Matron asks John Smith where he was originally from, where does he say he's originally from? Uh, oh, I don't know this one. Uh, Nottingham. Newton? Oh, <laughs> of course it was bloody Nottingham. What is the surname of the little girl with the balloon? Dunham, I don't know. Cartwright. You got zero out of five. That's really shit to say how much you love this episode. I don't like when I love. There's different ways of loving something. Okay, like you love something where like you learn it word for word. You can love something so much that you like buy a bunch of merch. I'm not one of those people who love something like to that extent. You're a nerd, is what you're saying. I've n- no, I mean, like, 
No, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with kind of like loving something so much that like you memorize it word for word. Like, I just don't have I don't have the capacity for that level of devotion to a piece of media. I don't know. Have you ever learned a whole film or TV episode word for word so much because you've watched it so many times? Um, not intentionally. Like, I can watch Back to the Future and recite conversations, but they're not perfect. And yeah. I can't do it without watching the film. I couldn't just do it now. I sort of need the yeah. film as a guidance. I was like, oh yeah, no, I just... And funny enough, the other day, I, I'll, I'll mention it in my recommendations. As, actually, no, we'll save it. We'll do recommendations and I'll, I'll finish my point. Harry, do you want you got anything to recommend? Not yet. I always need time to think of something, Tim. Okay, you know so I've been re-watching a lot of Only Fools and Horses on Netflix. It's just been super fun sort of go back and watch these really great comedies. And I completely forgot how much of it I do remember and there's like a whole opening sequence from series episode one with an exchange between Grandad Rodney and Del Boy and I just knew it and I hadn't watched the episode in years and same with like specials like to Hull and back obviously for those who don't know I live in Hull and recording this from Hull so I would watch that a lot as a kid um it's like whole speeches and like exchanges between characters and that, that I weirdly remember, but it's n- I've never gone. Oh, I must replay that and learn it. It just sort of you just sort of pick up on it, don't you? Really? Yeah, and I had one friend who, uh, as a kid, they loved the original Toy Story, and mm. they they pretty much knew the whole Toy Story film word for word. Yeah, yeah. 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 Do you have anything to recommend then, Harry? Before I go, I just want to tell you you were fantastic. Um, this is. This is incredibly late, but uh, considering that yesterday was... Sorry, uh, why are you holding a, a, the, a, a hairbrush? I, I'm just... I just fiddle. <laughs> Carry on. Uh, but considering that yesterday at the time of recording, we are recording on the uh, 7th of May, so yesterday was voting day for the by-elections. I just want to recommend voting in general. Obviously, it's too late for you to vote in the by-elections, but uh, vote. Voting's important. Yeah, especially in the general... faced him to suggest that you didn't vote in the by-elections? Well, shall I be completely honest with you? Um, no, I did not vote in the by-elections, mainly because I didn't really know what was going on. Um, obviously, the general election, I'm out there, and I'm, you know, encourage anybody to go out and vote. And to be honest, I should have gone out and voted yesterday. But I don't know about you. Did you, did, did you get your new, like, polling card through to your university now? Uh, no, I still have a. I still vote from home, so I'm in Birmingham right now. But my 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 vote still goes to home, and it's actually a whole funny thing that I have a postal vote. But what happened was the postal vote got sent to my home address, <laughs> and then it had to be posted by my family to my uni address, and then I had to post it from Birmingham back home. Oh, right, okay. See, I don't, yeah. I don't have that. I don't have a. I just get like the, the polling card that comes through. And I was reading the polling card, and you know, this is somewhat ignorance to myself. I should have done extra research, but I haven't seen like hardly any campaigns online or any t- much TV discussion about it. So it's never, it hasn't been as impactful or as in the forefront of my mind as it is when it's a general election. If you know what I mean. So it was always with like, the main coverage. Sorry, go on. The main coverage you really get for by-elections is stuff like kind of mayoral elections, which obviously stuff like the mayor of London and other cities is influenced by the by-elections. But 
No, there is nowhere near the same level of campaign and limelight on by-elections as there is on a general election. Which I guess is because because the by-election then sets up what you know impactful on the general election. Really, you sort of I, I sort of look at it as like a run-up. <laughs> but it's kind of local councils, you know, like yeah. who's you know organizing, who takes the bins out and stuff like that. That's yeah. by-elections. Yeah. Yes, per se, yeah. So it is important to and I do sort of feel semi bad that I didn't vote. But then I also know a lot of people who didn't as well, and not just people of our age. I know family who haven't because they don't really know why. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. The, you know what I mean? Um, and also, a way, way small. Yeah. Also, if I'm going to really get into it, I was busy filming most of the day, so I don't know when I would have got time to do it. Um, we've done our recommendations. We've done quizzes is that everything i must say to everybody so this is a much more chilled out um vibe today from big on the inside minute because we normally record these about eight o'clock and nine o'clock at night but we started recording this at half past ten in the morning on a friday morning so we've got the whole weekend ahead of us um yeah so i think it's been a slightly I'm more sort of... what was that sorry this, this to me is like an early weekend because uh my last kind of day in uni was yesterday so have you finished you finished uni off. now no, for the weekend. I'm, oh. I'm back. I'm starting a new. I'm starting a new production on Monday. Oh, cool, cool, cool. Um, anything that I need to say? Oh, by now you can already. I think it's been out a while, so I don't know why I mention it now because it came out like three weeks ago for you guys listening. But don't forget, we do have all our cast interviews with Dot Two Cast, Miranda Raisin, who played Tallulah. That's out there. Daniel Evans. There, I'm going to sneeze. They're all out there. And of course, we recently celebrated the anniversary of the Dot Two TV movie uh, with Johnny Morris, the writer. And hopefully our review of the TV movies out there as well for you to listen to. So go and indulge in all that. And you can contact the show and get in touch with us. I highly recommend following our Twitter account because there's some great stuff going on there. Um, you can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Acast, Google Podcasts, Anchor. And basically anywhere where you're listening to this, I highly recommend that you do subscribe. Um, also on YouTube as well. So leave us a five-star review if you are listening through iTunes because those reviews really do help. Um, follow, and basically, wherever you are, just interact with it the best way you can. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter, at Bigger on the Inside, and Instagram, Bigger on the Pod. Um, send us a couple of DMs, leave us some comments, and I'm sure we can read some stuff out as well. Um, I should um, also point out that on Instagram, I do occasionally ask for feedback on episodes. And I always forget to read them out every single time. So from next week onwards, I promise I will try my best to remember because I know you guys do send in your comments. Um, when we did 42 a couple of weeks ago, there were some really interesting comments there that I just didn't get around to reading out. And I haven't checked yet for... Um, I don't know if I should put one out for human nature, but if I did, I'm sure you guys responded very well. So anything else, Harry? Anything else? Um... Wubble up a Zigna. Wubble up a Oh, jeez. Oh, I hate Rick and Morty. I'll see you later, guys. Say bye, Harry. Rick and Morty, you're on a Mortrum. Remember on a Mortrum? Say bye, Harry. <laughs> Bye-bye. Make sure you subscribe to the official Bigger on the Inside podcast.